I titled the message this morning, Who is the King? Because as we watch the process unfold and we see this triumphal entry, um, in my mind, I keep coming back to who is it that they thought he was and how disappointed they had to and as the week progressed for them through this, this moment in Israel's history as Jesus came into Jerusalem and, and, and came in in this kingly fashion. So turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Mark this morning, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. We're going we're gonna to read, uh, jump ahead a little bit in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter in, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. One of the things that we see in this text is that uh, Jesus enters with great celebration and, and uh and it, it's, I mean, as I was wrestling through going, how, how is it that Jesus became so popular and how is it that he became uh, uh, such a, a thing for people to, uh, to be excited about and, and to bring this kingly entrance into uh, Jerusalem? And as I was thinking about the human needs, the things that he solved for them physically, the disease and, and the, the demon possession and, 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 and all of the different things uh, that, that he accomplished in, in the miracles that he did. I can only imagine that some of the people at some point were thinking in their heads, man, maybe he could actually take out Rome. Maybe this guy could actually handle the Romans and we could get our kingdom back. One of the texts, oh, sorry, I was supposed to give this to you too. Homework for this week, um, if, if you so choose to engage it with me, is to read uh, Matthew chapter 21 through 27 as that, that this is the, it's the week or, or we're going to spend a week reading it between what happens with Jesus here in his triumphal entry and his crucifixion. And then Lord willing, next week we are going to look at the resurrection. Matthew 21 through 27. That is your homework, if you will take it. I can only imagine as they were excited and, and the things that were going on, uh, that, that they had seen this as being a hopeful time that the king had arrived. And one, one of the ways that we, I believe we can assess that they really did see Jesus coming, they, they reference it in their song, blessed are you who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. So they see in his coming, and we're going to look at two passages that tie into this, uh, that there is a coming coming king. Um, but in one of the acts that they do, we actually see it referenced in 2 Kings 9, verse 13. 
This is uh, when Jehu was becoming was made king, and one of the acts that they did at that time in 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 Second Kings nine thirteen, and I'm just doing this one verse. Uh, then in haste, every man took. Uh, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpets and proclaimed, Jehu is king. There's this act that they do to lay their cloaks down on the donkey and then on the ground for him and, and covering the ground with palms that is a kingly entrance. It's, it's this beautiful picture of Jesus entering the king and people before him and after him. Remember when we started in, in Mark, we talked about that, that introduction that we saw. Here comes the herald and John the Baptist. He shows up. And then God the Father comes and anoints him at his baptism with the Holy Spirit. There's this grand moment that Jesus enters into the story in the Gospel of Mark. And here in verse 11, we see him entering Jerusalem with a similar type of grandness, that of a king. Were the people wrong to expect a king? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, what's so cool about this is that uh, Jesus, he, he fulfills some prophecy at this moment. And I, I love the debate. I, one of the commentaries I was reading, they were talking about how, how there's, you know, Jesus, it, it wasn't uh, a it wasn't his ability to know things or his sovereignty that gave him access to the donkey's location. He'd probably walked by it several times and therefore knew that there was a donkey tied at the stable, and so he sent his guys in to get it. And I think to myself, okay, we're not worried about that. I don't know how Jesus did that, but we don't get told how he did it. He just says he does it. So we're going to let Jesus be Jesus, and that happened. You guys good with that? Okay. Because what's coming is so incredibly important. Look at Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah 9, 9 through 13. Verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Here in the midst of Zechariah's prophecy, he's reflecting for them. He's revealing to them in this moment of prophecy this hope that's coming, this coming king who's going to be riding in on a donkey. One of the things that I'm guessing that we would miss in, in our celebration is the reference of him being humble. And, and what a posture that Jesus took as he come, came in, celebrated as a king. Jesus was the coming king, and it was okay for them to be excited about it. It was awesome. It was an amazing moment. And they're singing. I love the song that they sing. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, that, that's a, actually right out of Psalm 118. So if you, if you mark Psalm 118, because we're going to go back to that uh, at some point. Uh, 
Psalm 118, verse 26. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And there, there's more in this psalm, but for, for the sake of this morning, we're going to stop there. But here the people of Israel are singing this, this psalm of blessing, the celebratory entrance. And I love how Jesus does this, you guys. I, I just I love that that Jesus takes some of the same stuff that they're saying and he uses it to help explain things. Uh, look at Matthew twenty one verses forty two and forty six. Just before that verse in Psalm one eighteen, there are verses uh, in Psalm one eighteen twenty two and twenty three, and Jesus quotes them here. In his discussion with the Pharisees, he's actually explaining to them the parable of the talents. And, and there was this, this guy that actually hires somebody to take care of his vineyard. And when he sends an, an envoy back to talk to the tenants at the vineyard, they decided that, you know, they, they, if, they just, if they just got rid of these, these people coming back for, for our landlord, you know, the landlord's not around. He doesn't care about the small vineyard. He won't show up. And they go through this whole process. And eventually the landlord sends his son and the tenants decide that if we kill him, then we can take the vineyard for ourselves. And it's to that parable that Jesus says this in Matthew 21, 42. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Here Jesus takes... Even in this moment, he takes the, the, the praise of this group, the, the psalm that they're using to celebrate his, his triumphal entry. And, and I believe one of the reasons that I really want you to read Matthew 21 through 27 is that you're going to see Jesus' response to being king. And he doesn't go after the Romans. He doesn't go after those who have physical uh, captivity over Israel. But he starts going after their hearts, and he goes after their soul. He goes after the captivity of their souls that are captured and held bondage by sin. And that's what he begins to address. And I love the fact, you guys can't miss this, right? He says to the Pharisees, haven't you read your Bibles? You, did, you caught that, right? He, he doesn't play very nice. I mean, that's almost insulting. Wouldn't you be insulted a little bit if Jesus came back and said, haven't you read your Bible? The coming king of David. Here the people reference this kingdom that's coming, this coming kingdom. It reminded me of, of the story um, when, when Jesus' birth is actually pre, uh, um, foretold by an angel to Mary. Look look in uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 32 verses two, 32 and 33. Luke chapter 1 he 
will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Here Mary receives this this promise, this prophecy, this message from God about her son who's going to be this coming king. What an amazing, amazing truth. So one of the things that really grabbed my heart this week is I'm wrestling through all of this stuff, and I'm wrestling through uh, this, this celebration and thinking about how is it that here are these people who are celebrating who, who Jesus is, and they, they have the, the prophecy, they have all of these different prophecies. And we're going to look at another one in Ezekiel uh, chapter 37, but they have all this prophecy, and, and in the midst of that prophecy, in the midst of that celebration, when Jesus shows up and he doesn't fulfill for them their expectations as a king, their favor wanes. He, he, he's no longer the, the heralded coming king. And if you read Matthew 21 through 27, you'll see what happens. Some of you, oh good, we're communicating. That is, some of you smiled, so that's, that's you, you, you know what, what you need to do. Ezekiel 37, 24 through 28. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have all uh, they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I give to my, my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall, shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be within them, and I will be their God, shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they, sh- they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. One of the things that is so profound to me about the prophecy and this process that happens is that every time we see one of these, I don't, again, I don't know, I didn't give you the homework of reading Zechariah and Ezekiel because it's, it's pretty intense stuff. But in the midst of those prophecies, in the midst of the, the verses that we've pulled out, there is great distress. There's discipline. It, it's in the midst of, of disobedience and rebellion and conflict as God is sending his prophets to call his people back. And they're living in that rebellion, rejecting those words that these prophecies of hope are given. Do you see that? It is during their rebellion that God shows up and says, but there's a hope coming. There's redemption coming. I'm sending my salvation. I'm sending my peace. I am sending that, and it will come. How difficult it is to see God's grace, his mercy, his love, when we're expecting something else, isn't it? Isn't it, it's just, a, it's amazing to me. Um, man, I didn't, you know, 
some of you know that I have a unique propensity for challenges in my heart with driving. Um, and uh, Ben came back and was sharing with me his sinfulness as well uh, this morning um, about, oh, sorry, maybe you were just challenging me not to go to Arizona. That's right. That's right. Because of all the sinners that live down there and they're driving. He was trying to protect me. Can I share with you? I, um, for whatever reason, so I'm working on a sermon, Triumphal Entry. I'm addressing this issue of of having expectations and God showing up and and providing all of these things um, to deal with the brokenness of our heart, the hardness of our heart. We're going to look at that in just a second. And, And that in the midst of this prophecy of hope, in the midst of a life that is that is challenged by sin, that that struggles to live right before the Lord. Um, God lined up for me repeatedly this week people that could not drive the speed limit. It's not funny. I followed an individual from Highway 41 all the way into Hayden, 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. Even my car wasn't happy. Now, I share that with you. I, I'm honestly not sharing with that to, to as much. I know it's funny, and it, you you are all nearly as guilty as me. I promise you. I, I can, I'm positive we could go out and go driving together, and I could help you understand this. Um, but the thing, the angst for me is this, is I'm studying this great, this triumphal entry. I'm wrestling with this context that in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our life, in the midst of being, being in disobedience and rebellion and the brokenness of our heart, God extends hope to his people. And I'm driving down the road getting angry because somebody's going too slow. That's not okay. That, that's ridiculous. What should break my heart more? The fact that somebody's driving too slow or that I lose my mind over that? Where's the, where is the sovereignty of God? Do, you, do I honestly believe that he allowed that to happen in my life? I do. <laughs> Which means I failed repeatedly. My bride could testify to you that I was trying to assist someone to move faster last night going home. It was an entire week of this. And every time I got done, I I went, are you doing that on purpose? And then the next day, same stinking thing. Same response with my heart. What is it that the king is doing as he enters Israel and the people are praising his arrival? They're celebrating his arrival. Woohoo! He's here. He's going to do what we want him to do. But he didn't. The king came not to do what they wanted to do, but he did what they needed him to do. Even when they didn't realize it. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. One of my favorite passages, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. 
Paul says this, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, uh, the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the, hand, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. It might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For, though, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the, foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. It was the purpose and intent of our Father in heaven through the Son, Jesus Christ, that he would bring us near to him through the covenant of blood. Do you remember Zechariah 9, verse 11? He actually references in that prophecy that there's a coming king, that there's going to be a new covenant in blood. Even then, the picture was beginning to be made and, and laid out for us as Paul explains that, how, how Jesus fulfills this prophecy. In Christ, we are being built into a dwelling place. Uh, turn with me to Zach, uh, Ezekiel 36. Just before our prophecy in Ezekiel 37, where he says that he's going to make us a dwelling place, where he's, he's going to actually... He says it in 37, my dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they will be my people. In verse 30 or chapter 36 of Ezekiel, in verses 25 through 27, he says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Here it is all the way back in Ezekiel, what the Messiah was going to bring for his people. This great entry, this triumphal entry of the king, it was a triumph. It was a great moment in, in all of mankind. And I think the good people of Israel and the people living at that time, they were not much un, they were not unlike us much in the sense that our physical circumstances tend to drive our interpretation of Scripture, right? Our ideas of what we want God to do for us, our ideas of what it means for Him to bless us or to show up and arrive and bring salvation or bring peace. Those things are often driven by the whatever circumstances we're in in life. 
I don't know your circumstance. I shared with you one that's really innocuous, one that's safe, right? Driving issues. We can all identify on those. But the reality is each one of us comes with a hard heart. Ezekiel says that he's coming to replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh, a heart that has life in it. And what's that, what is that heart driven by? It's driven by the presence of his spirit. Jesus didn't come to just fix the issue that the Israelites had on that day. Jesus came, and he entered in his king to address the issue of the heart that all mankind has. You know what our challenge is today? What are we going to do with this king? What do we do with him? Do we respond as, as the people in Jerusalem did that week as he starts to teach and he starts to expose the hardness of our heart with his word? Do we respond by saying, I don't really need that. Um, we would never say this, but crucify him. Right? Is that our response to him? Jesus, that's not exactly what I kind of thought you were going to do as a king. I'm thinking make my life better, you know, give me an extra lane on the freeway, do something to make me happy. Maybe you can fix the issues in my life. Maybe, maybe you can take care of the illness or the mess in our family, the sin that's ravaging my heart. Not sure if I want to give that to you. Or will we respond like his disciples do? Don't you love those guys? I, I can only imagine that they were trotting down the street singing that song. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the coming kingdom of David, right? We know if you look back in the story, they were arguing over who gets to set his right hand and left hand. Even their mamas were involved. They were posturing for position, jockeying for their place in this coming kingdom. And yet what Jesus intended to do with them was to change the world. Who is this king? Would you follow him? Would you respond to him today? Would you be able to admit, Lord, I have a heart of stone. I like my sin. I really don't want you to be in charge. Not interested in what you're doing. Let me tell you what I have planned for you. Or could you and I surrender today? Could we recognize Paul's words in Ephesians? That it is through this person, Jesus, it is through our King and our Messiah that we have been brought into oneness with God the Father and we have access to Him. What will be your response to the King today? What is it that He's asking you to accept Him as? For some of us, it may be a, a first time introduction to Jesus as Messiah. 
For some of us, it may be a reintroduction to somebody we met years and years and years ago that we haven't talked to in years. You know, when David wrote Psalm 51, he says, I've been away from you for a long time. Brothers and sisters, that's easy for us to do. Especially in our culture of comfort and convenience where I can be so angry about somebody not driving the speed limit and not brokenhearted about all of the unsaved people I drive by every day. How can that be an issue for me? If I understood his heart. Oh, that we would recognize the need of our hearts to be transformed by God, even this morning. Would you close in prayer with me? Father, I honestly don't know what you're doing in each life that's here. Outside of fulfilling that prophecy that you are replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. So God, wherever we're at individually, whatever posture we need to take this morning, I pray that you would make it clear in each heart what it means to bow before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords today. What it means to surrender our ideals of what it means for you to be king or what we think you should do for us as our king and to surrender to your plan and purpose in our lives. To humbly admit that your plan to transform my heart for eternity is more precious and better than the immediate needs that I would ask you to resolve today. Oh, Lord, that you would overwhelm us with who you are. And that we would choose to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of David. Hosanna in the highest. Oh, Lord, that we would celebrate your arrival in our hearts, in our lives, in our brokenness, and in our sin. That your kingdom would be accomplished as you have designed it to be in each person here. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for this body. Thank you for the opportunity for us to love on part of our family. Help us to do that every day, every week every gathering. Let us be a light that reflects the transformation of what you're doing in us to this community around us. The people in this area would say, God is at work in that church. In your name, amen.